You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, as we begin this time to ask you, how can we possibly verbally witness to Buddhists, to Muslims, to Hindus, to Jews, to people who are secular, We want to acknowledge that it is nothing that we could say that could actually convert them and bring them to a life-changing, eternal, saved relationship with you. It's going to have to be the miracle of your Holy Spirit. We're confident of that. Still, we are looking at the methods of what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out and what made the difference in regular spoken words to have them be so supercharged with your love, with your energy, that it changed those who were listening. So we're coming humbly this morning, humbly asking you to be our teacher now and in the future, because we are not confident. We're not sure what to say. We can befriend people. We can help them out. We can get some food for them or connect them. Um, But even that, Lord, takes your love in our hearts. So help us to have the confidence that that also can be your love speaking through us to other people. Guide and lead my words and guide each of us as we think about what you want us to do and be for your glory in Jesus' name. As an encouragement to your heart and to cast the vision of the four steps in sharing a witness with people of any religious background, I want to share a story with you I've shared many times because it summarized for me something I hadn't put into words or steps or anything in my struggle to know how do you talk to somebody that you've just met that has a background maybe you don't fully understand or know, and how do you speak to people who have completely different worldviews and and perspectives. It was back when we had first gone over to Thailand as missionaries. We'd previously been in that area for six years with Adventist Frontier Missions in Cambodia. But after being in the States for three or four years, God put the call in our hearts again to go back. And as we arrived, uh, we had the privilege of, of learning language, of spending some time learning Thai. But we got an email from the Cambodia Adventist Mission saying, can you come over and help us to train uh, some of the local workers so they can do Bible studies, um, out, outreach, personal ministry for about nine months, and then we want to hold a big, huge, first-ever public evangelism in Cambodia. Well, that was super exciting to us. I was happy to go back to the country we'd served in, and for that short time, maybe four weeks or so, we began to work with new church members. Some of them had only been baptized a year. But I had asked, requested that, can we at least have four or five of the Cambodian pastors so we can work together to train these young people up and help them to go out? So after four or five weeks, I was exhausted, really super tired. We've been going out and different things, and I thought, I want to take a break. So I headed down to the Mekong River, beautiful flowing past, river flowing past the, the city there. And I thought, I'm going to take a book, and I'm going to enjoy reading. And I sat down there at a, at a bench. I should have known better. I'd lived there for six years, surrounded by people who wanted to learn English, who wanted to talk to a foreigner. And I picked up my book, and there were three men sitting next to me right away. And as a good missionary, I put my book in front of my face <laughs> and kept reading. I was tired. and didn't want to talk to anybody, witness anybody. This is Cambodia, not Thailand. Thank you, Julie. And, and, 
and as, as I was sitting there, um, they left, they went away. So I'm reading away, and I see out of the corner of my eye a man sitting on his motorcycle, looking out at the Mekong River, sad, sad face. And the Holy Spirit's tugging on my heart, you ought to talk to him. I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to talk to him, you can make him come over and sit next to me. I was tired. And in the moment he was there, and I put my book down, I said, okay, Lord, I surrender. And we began to talk, just talking back and forth, being friendly in Cambodian. And finally I said to him, you know, you look pretty sad sitting there looking out at the river. And he said, well, um, and I asked him what was going on. He said, well, there's a lot going on. It's super hard to get work on a motorcycle taxi these days. It's just very tough. So many people are driving their motorcycle all around Phnom Penh. And, and I just can't make it. And I just got married, and now I have a baby, and the mother-in-law is upset. And he was obviously struggling and stressed. But I thought, what can I do? You know, I, I, you know, I just sympathized with him and said, that has to be super hard, super hard to make a living, especially with a new baby. And then I thought, what can I share with him? Is there a story I can tell him? So I started telling him the story about my wife's grandmother, who during the Depression, God blessed incredibly as she paid her tithe and telling him this story, and it's a good story, a really good story, but it's on the other side of the world during the Depression with the lady who God is blessing with things he's never even heard of. So I say, Lord, what's a story he can relate to? And I told him the story of two, a man and a woman, a couple we knew, who were, who were down to almost nothing. They had their last bag of rice when his cousin showed up and said, my family's super hungry. We have almost nothing out in the villages. Do you have anything to share? So he gave him their last bag of rice. And the mother was so upset. She said, I, I, just don't, I'm, I, just, I don't want to even talk to you about it. This is so mad at you. She couldn't sleep. She woke up early the next morning, got up, didn't want to see her kids waking up hungry, was walking outside, and he's praying for her the whole time. He knows God. He knows there's a God who created us, who loves us. And thinking, I, does this, no, this man, he doesn't know anything about the Creator God. He's Buddhist. He's He's, he doesn't have this background, but maybe he can understand, praying in my heart. And then I said, as she was walking around the field and the sun came up, there was a gleam of gold, and she reached down and picked up a chain. She thought, is this real? Fake? How did it get here? Did a thief run through here and drop it? And she ran back to the house, woke her husband up and said, is it real? Is it real? Did God answer our prayer? And he got up sleepily and said, let's go to town and find out. And the next thing I knew, they were at my house telling me, it's worth $300. We'll have plenty of rice for the rest of the year. Just telling him the story, this real story that I knew was true. And then I was done. Now what? I'm sitting out here, book forgotten, tiredness forgotten, excited that God could use even me in this situation when I was so tired and grumpy. And then I thought, he needs an opportunity to learn more. And I said to him, I'm only going to be here through the weekend, and then I go back to Thailand. But I know people here who know about this God. Would you like to learn more about him? Just one little question and an opportunity to learn more. And he smiled and he said, I sure would. I said, well, then I need to know where your house is. He said, come on, hop on my motorcycle. We drove there, met the mother-in-law and the wife and the baby, and then the next day I brought back a global pioneer who met him and began to do Bible studies with him. His name was Jia Ji. Nine months later, I came back, 
of the Evangelistic Series, where the General Conference President, Jan Paulsen, and Mike Ryan from Global Mission were preaching their hearts out. I had the privilege of seeing him on the last day walk up the steps and down into that tank and be baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Why? Because God is good. He is full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and knows how to reach into people's lives and grab hold of them and is willing to use broken vessels that are willing to say, okay, Lord, I surrender. Please use it. Amen? So as we look at this, there are five things that jump out to me. Number one, as I said in my prayer, and as we must remember all the way through, it's all about what the Spirit of God can do. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know what I'm going to read already, don't you? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Is there any other answer for witnessing than this? Is there? No, this is the only answer. When we ask the question, well, how can I witness? I, I'm not able to preach up front like he is. I can't do Bible studies like she can. How can I do it? The answer is Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth even if they're right there in Detroit or Grand Rapids or Ann Arbor. The ends of the earth have come here, and our answer for reaching a Muslim, for a Buddhist, is the Holy Spirit. So we know we should pray for it. We should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We should seek more. We should seek revival. Nothing else is more important. But what does this mean? And I have made it my study three different times to go through Scripture, looking throughout my life at different times for what does it mean when we receive the Holy Spirit. And this morning, as I woke early, that's what God put in my heart. Not the four steps, though we're going to look at them, and God made them clear and relevant as well, but back to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts. And I read through, and I, I started typing. You can see my, my list here. I'll put it up. Um, of, of places where it speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit, of what God did. Wait for the promise of the Father, chapter 1, verse 4. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, 1, verse 5. What we just read, 1, verse, verse 8. And then the days of preparation, so beautiful in the book Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White. As you read through, what did they do in that room while they were waiting? What was happening in their hearts? What was happening among them? We should study this. We should do it, live it in every way we can. And on it goes. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Chapter 2, verse 4. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, just like in our cities today. Chapter 2, verse 5. And on it goes, down through the list. They prayed and they spoke boldly. We saw in chapter 1, verse 8, that it says they would give witness unto Jesus. And I saw again this morning, those first 13 chapters, again and again, they spoke of Jesus, the crucified Savior, the risen Lord, the fact that they had seen him work miracles. They lived it. They healed the sick. They cast out demons. They lived the life of Christ in love for one another. That early church in chapter 2 is a beautiful demonstration of what our churches should become. And we can compare our church with that list there in Acts chapter 2, and ask the Lord to search our hearts and our church to make us more that spirit-filled people. So I want 
everything we're saying right now to be in that context of us continuing to say, what does it mean when I kneel down and say, fill me with your spirit? It needs to be filled with the fruits. So what does that look like? Where in my life am I impatient? Where in my life is there a lack of self-control? Lord, fill me with your spirit and then believe. The gifts of the spirit. What about them in our church? Are we missing any? What do we do? Should we go hire, recruit somebody from another church, bring him in? Let's pray. Let's ask God to give us the full picture of the gifts that lived out, that's Christ lived out, and as the early church lived out. The tongues of the Spirit. What does he want to do? It's happened occasionally where he has still given people that gift to instantly speak or instantly hear. It does happen. But especially, we can interpret it today as the ability to get the gospel into, the, in, into people's hearing in every way we can, as AWR does so beautifully, as Hope Channel and 3ABN and on and on it goes. And that's why we've taken and put together My Language, My Life, so that people can find in their own language as God's Spirit changes our hearts and we're actually there being their friend and connecting them to the truth in Jesus. So, though there's a whole bunch more that would be fun to explore and to look at, let's, let's, let's keep that in the back of our mind and be saying, okay, it's all about the Holy Spirit. That's what I need more than anything else. Amen? So the answer for reaching the world is the Holy Spirit. What that looks like is spelled out in the book of Acts and beyond. And now let's take a look at what that Holy Spirit can do as we pray. I want you to think of Acts chapter 8, and we'll just take one moment to think about it. But picture God picking up, well not picking, he said go to Philip, and Philip crosses the path of a man from the country next door, Egypt, He's uh, Ethiopia. He is a treasure, an important man, traveling to Jerusalem, possibly a Jew, likely a Jew. He knows he's got a scroll with him. And as Philip asked the Lord to use him, he was a deacon. He was not, this is not Philip the disciple. This is Philip the deacon who wants to share the gospel. And God's Spirit leads him there to this man. He shares the word with him. He just simply explains to him what's in here, simple truth about Jesus. And then the man is prepared, his heart is ready, and he's baptized. And the Holy Spirit takes him away, and he goes on preaching Christ. What am I saying by that? I'm saying, as it says here, in Our Father's Cares, by Ellen White, page 194, I'm going to jump down to the middle. Many are on the verge of the kingdom, waiting only to be gathered in. An angel guided Philip to the one who was seeking for light and who was ready to receive the gospel. And today... Angels will guide the footsteps of those workers who will allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify their tongues and refine and ennoble their hearts. Amen? Does it say the Holy Spirit will use those who are talented? No. It says those who will allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify their tongues and refine and ennoble their hearts. It's a beautiful word, allow. Not struggle and strive to become but allow God to do what he can do. He will, he will bring you across people's paths. I have seen him do that powerfully, powerfully. When we came back from Thailand, a young lady had said to us before she left, my sister is in America, and I think she's backslidden. 
And I, I would really like for you to find her and help her to get back in the Lord. Part of the Mian tribe that AFM had sent missionaries to reach. Came to, we asked her, okay, where does she live? What's her address? I don't know, but when you see her, tell her I miss her. Girl from a village, unaware of what it was like. We laughed, and the Lord laughed. Because there we were, up near Weimar, and my daughter's boyfriend came to visit, and my daughter said, I want to take him to Thai food. So down the hill we went to a Thai restaurant we'd never been to. doesn't taste quite as good as over there, and it's a lot more expensive. And so we went into this Thai restaurant, and I heard somebody say, Ajahn Sakat, Teacher Scott. I looked up, and I was like, what, what? She said, Pi Supin, Supin's my sister. It was the girl, it was the lady we were supposed to find somewhere in America. And we were able to encourage her and share the gospel with her husband, who was from an animist background. God wants to do this for you. He does. And it may not be as dramatic as that. It may just be somebody in line at the grocery store that you can share with. So as he leads you, where can we start? I want you to feel so comfortable that even if you meet a Muslim cleric or a Buddhist monk, you won't feel afraid. First, because of the power of the Holy Spirit and his love for them. But secondly, because it's a simple way to be a friend. Step number one, listen. The New Testament records that Jesus asked 307 questions. Ministry of Healing 157, it says, Sympathize with them in their trials, their heartaches and disappointments. This will open the way for you to help them. I'm putting the two words together, listen and sympathize, because if somebody's listening to you, truly listening with their heart, looking at your face, not looking around, wondering when they'll be done talking, but looking at you and with their eyes communicating that they care and asking more questions about what you've just said, you can feel their sympathy. And you as the one listening, then are able to understand what their problems are, what they're struggling with, what their beliefs are, what they think, what their values are, what's core in them that really matters to them. And that's your foundation for everything else that you will share. The Holy Spirit wants to use compassionate-hearted people who care enough to listen to understand. Amen? So here's a couple questions, and you're welcome to take pictures of the slides, or I will post it on the website as well there, along with the video in, in the future. But I do have a small handout that I can give you that has some of these on it as well. Here's some questions. Besides, how are you? Where, where are you? You know, just the, the common questions that we ask about people's families, where you work, whatever. Things like this can be helpful to go deeper. Where did you live before coming to America? What do you miss about it? You know, that recognizes that people miss the country. Even if they were almost killed while coming out, they still miss it, what it was like before. Did your parents practice a certain religion? After you've gotten acquainted and you, can, you want to move towards more spiritual conversations, a question like that about their parents, instead of just what's your religion, puts it off of them to talk about how they grew up. What was it like growing up for you? Did your parents practice a certain religion? What do you especially value about that religion now that you've grown up? Things like that, get them talking, and you begin to understand what they believe and what they value. Do you think there's a God? If you knew for sure God answers prayer, what would you pray for? 
just things that can help you find out and understand where they're at. And of course, these are deeper. What do you think happens when people die? How do you feel when you think about death? These all may seem too fast, too quick, but in the context of friendship, in the context of having asked about their country, about their present situation, you can move into to good conversations, finding out about them. You're not having to share and to witness right away. Number two, affirm similarities. I love this little picture of toes uh, because it reminds me how much Jesus became like us, leaving heaven and all he could do as a God who could be everywhere at all times, at all places, and do anything. And he becomes a little baby just there, a Jewish baby. And growing up, did many of the things that other Jews did. Hebrews 2.17, New Living Translation says, Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. So what do I mean by affirming similarities? Well, I believe that people of any religion or any background, have, if they've had their eyes open, have been able to learn something about God. Because Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. If people have been watching, they have been picking up something about who God is, what he's like, the good qualities, and there are values that they appreciate that really come from God. Romans 2 verse 14 and 15 goes on to say, When Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So if we think of Gautama Siddhartha, the Buddha, and how he came up with this huge system of morality and all that's there, we recognize it is a religion of works. It's not what we want to value and encourage people to stay in because we know it's impossible to save yourself by your own good works. Try as hard as even Seventh-day Adventists may. So we need the grace of Christ so desperately. And yet, as we get to know our Buddhist brothers and sisters, if we can value and appreciate what they value, not their religion, but what they value, recognizing they have picked it up from the truths that God has left hidden in creation and in the human heart, then we can recognize things that we can come close with one another on this stair step up to an understanding of who God is. So, how does this work? Well, that's a little while ago. You can tell by my 18-year-old son, pretty tiny there. Uh, and you can tell I've been on the plane for a while, just by the way my hair looks. This is after coming out of coming back from Thailand on a mission trip. And this man I saw, and I knew he had to be from Thailand, just the color of his robe and the way he looked. And I said, Lord, sometime on the flight, I want to be able to talk to him. Well, sure enough, towards the end of the flight, I saw he was working on his immigration form, and I was headed back to the bathroom, and he looked up, and I smiled, and he said, can you help me? spoke in English. I sat next to him, tried to speak in Thai with him. He wanted to speak English. And as I began to help him, he had questions for me. And he said, um, you're probably pretty rich, aren't you, being from America? <laughs> I smiled. And he said, you know money can't make you really happy, right? I said, you're right, that's for sure. He said, he wasn't sure if I really meant it. 
And he, he said, he said, it's all passing away, and someday you're going to die, and it's all going to be gone. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's true. He said, I was a businessman, and I lost my wife. And I gave up everything to become a monk. That's really important to him. A little bit later, he said, are you married? No. He said, do you have a Thai girlfriend? Because most people who look like me, he sees his Thai girlfriends where he comes from in Thailand. And I said, no, I have one wife, and I've only had one wife, and she's sitting right up there. He smiled. I said, that's good, but you know, she's going to die someday. He's like, okay, <laughs> yes. His point was, everything is passing. This is the heart of Buddhism. Don't hold on to anything in this world because it's going to cut you. It's going to slip through your hands. This is, this is important to know. He wanted to know if I knew that, if I valued the same thing. And as I affirm those things, which is a Seventh-day Adventist belief, is it not? The image of Daniel 2 teaches us that thing, that very fact, and many other things. As I affirmed that, he was able to ask questions that were really on his heart, like, why on earth do Christians believe that God can forgive your sins and you just keep on doing those bad things, and God keeps forgiving you, and just keep doing those bad things, it sounds immoral. It sounds like a religion that encourages doing wrong things. That's a major question that they have. And I was able to share that Jesus' death on the cross was not only about forgiving sins, but about changing the human heart from selfishness, Buddhists are trying to run from, to compassion, to mercy, to kindness, which is what they're seeking out, and was able to share so affirm similarities. Ellen White says in Gospel Workers 119 to 120, speak to them as you have opportunity. Upon points of doctrine on which you can agree, dwell on the necessity of practical godliness. Give them evidence that you are a Christian desiring peace and that you love their souls. Let them see that you are conscientious. Thus you will gain their confidence and there will be time enough for doctrines. By doctrine, she means certain special beliefs. But she's saying, let them see in your lifestyle, in the things that you value that are in common, to take away those barriers that would otherwise cause people to not be interested at all. And is not the world turned away by the lamb-like beast in all of its political glory and in all of its immorality, movies and TV that encircle the world like a dragon's breath? This is the power that must be counteracted by a godly, spirit-filled family and individual. And the Lord can use that to knock down those barriers to help people know. So you might just ask yourself about the person in front of you who you've listened to carefully, what values, interests, and struggles does my friend have that are similar to me? You don't have to have it all together to witness. You need to be on the journey with them. How can I help him or her value God, the Bible, Jesus, or some truth through what he or she already values or believes. You see, when they're listening to you, they're trying to filter whatever you're saying to them through what they already, or already think about. And that's why Jesus was so powerfully good at using parables to affirm what they knew and felt and believed and saw and take them to a higher truth. So we have to speak about God, the Bible, and other things through the things that matter to them. For example, I really appreciate your culture's emphasis on family and respecting elder people. I also do not eat pork or drink alcohol. I want my body to be strong to serve God. How many Muslims sitting to, talking to an Adventist have been so surprised that this person in front of them 
shares a similar lifestyle. Or, I love the idea you shared. That makes me think of what Jesus said. And it's so similar to, and then you share with them whatever it is that's in common. Moving on quickly to the third step. As I mentioned earlier to some of you, these are things we have to practice and think about and put into practice. And in the training and Reach the World Next Door, it goes through these more slowly and helps you to bring them right into your everyday conversation. Number three, share differences through stories. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 34, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak to them. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, who had the deepest of insights he could have, he could have carried on for hours, used parables, short thoughts that would put the things forever in their minds. He taught his disciples to do the same. And he taught newly converted people from animistic backgrounds like the demoniac in Mark 5.19, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. What a difference that one untrained man made in the Decapolis area so that when Jesus returned, over 4,000 came together just a bit not alone, let alone women and children. We are told in Desire of Ages 347, our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. We are to acknowledge his grace as made known through the holy men of old, that would be Bible stories, but that which will be most effectual is the testimony of our own experience. We are witnesses for God as we reveal in ourselves the working of a power that is divine. Every individual, that means you, right? You may say, I don't have a big story. Has God ever answered a prayer for you? Ever comforted your heart? Ever strengthened you for some task or given you, given you victory over tempt temptation? Every individual has a life distinct from all others and an experience differing essentially from theirs. God desires that our praise shall descend to him marked by our own individuality. Now listen to this. These precious acknowledgments to the praise of the glory of His grace when supported by a Christ-like life have an irresistible power that works for the salvation of souls. Go tell your stories. Go tell your testimonies. In the context of having cared for somebody, listened to what they were going through, what was important to them, valued what they valued, you then have won the right through love to tell your story too, to share what God has done for you, and people will listen. You can say things as simple as this. After you've listened to somebody, you might say, I have a friend who went through similar problems in their family. Can I share with you what happened to him? You're asking permission to tell a story. You're asking to share maybe someone else's story, but it's your friend. You have a connection to it. You have something that you have to share. Or maybe this one. I used to be worried about everything. What really helped me was when I, and then you can tell how God helped you through reading the word, through praising him, through praying, through whatever helped you. Or how about this one? Can I share with you an ancient story that really helped answer my questions about? Somebody's telling you that they're confused. What happens when you die? They're scared to die. And you say to them, you know, I'm not afraid anymore about death. And I'll tell you why. If you want to hear, let me tell you what really happened, helped me. It's a story from a long time ago, and you share with them a Bible story. 
So this can even be helpful when you're dealing with the difficult things like belief in reincarnation, belief in ghosts, spirits that are around, um, near-death experiences. These are things that you can just tell people all you want or quote Bible texts and they're just still like, I know it's true because this happened to my uncle or I saw this. It's an experience deep-rooted. But as you share through the power of the Holy Spirit, the great controversy story and the stories in the Bible, people are able to stand back and say, well, maybe I've been deceived. Maybe there is somebody out there who wants me to believe exactly what I believed all my life because he has an agenda. In that new light, people many times can see and break through past the darkness. But especially beyond any stories and any things that we say, there's step number four, which is to invite to experience. What I mean by that is that we are used to leading people to the church and to baptism through careful indoctrinating through various things that we teach, Bible studies, public evangelism. This is our way. We are logical. We believe other people will join if they can see the logic. But the vast majority of the world does not think in that direction. They simply are asking, does it work? Did it work for you? Think of the postmodern culture. Truth? You have your truth. I have mine. She has hers. Who knows? Is there any real truth? I guess my truth is my real truth. But if it works, if it is an experience that changes their life, they're interested. This is the way Buddhists and Hindus think too, and many Muslims as well, even though they have the Quran as their source of truth. People are convinced by what they experience. That is a great danger, right? We are concerned about that, and rightly so, of people who put experience before the Word of God. But Jesus did not hesitate to give people a mighty experience of the power of God, of His truth, of His love, and we shouldn't either. People don't even have to know who you are praying to when you are praying for them and their problems. God will demonstrate His power to them, and then you can help them know just who that God is that you are helping them to meet. Ellen White wrote in a little pamphlet, 118, page 2, the secret of our success and power will be found in making direct personal appeals to those who are interested, having unwavering reliance upon the Most High. Louis Torres does a wonderful job of unpacking this in his book on making decisions, and he just pulls it apart. This is our success, but you need to have somebody who's interested. You're watching, you're praying, you're saying, Lord, is it time? Is it time to invite them to a Bible study? Is it time to invite them to try exercising with me and some good healthy food? It can be in any little area that we can help them, but then doing something that's direct and personal, inviting them to do it with unwavering reliance upon the Most High. So what are some of those things? They can be as simple as, may I pray for your troubled teenager? As you do, they're experiencing the reality of God. Would you like to try memorizing the scripture that helped my relationship with my dad? You're showing them the word of God and God's care for family values. Would you like to join us this Saturday on our nature exploration trip? It has really helped us grow close as a family and it's helped my stress level too. You're inviting somebody to learn about creation and the Sabbath without having taught them anything yet. And we have seen Buddhist people come and enjoy a wonderful day of getting close to their family, of learning things from nature that help them have a happier home, and then in turn being able to say, 
Who put all these lessons in nature? Why can we find so much? And realizing there is a God, a creator God behind it all. So, so many things that God wants to do. And we need to come back now as we're thinking this through. Come back with me just for a moment to the story I begin with. I wasn't thinking of four steps. I was just trying to let God use me when I didn't want to. But there he was. I listened to him. I affirmed what we struggled with in common and his reality. And then I told him a story, a couple stories. And then I invited him to learn more. And he said yes, which resulted in finally him coming to Christ. So it may happen in a short moment, on a bus, on a train, in a plane, somewhere, that you have a chance to talk with somebody, but more likely in the context of real relationships with the refugees you're reaching out to that you've been caring for so long, and you've been asking, but how do we go to spiritual conversations? I encourage you to try this. Listen to them. You have been already. Ask them more questions. Learn about their spiritual values, the things that matter to them. My friend who's doing ministry among Muslims, he said, I let them tell me everything they possibly can about what they believe until it's all out and they have nothing more to share. And then they're ready to hear what I believe. And I'm able to tell them openly, frankly, what Jesus has done for me. He shares how Jesus appeared to him in a dream, how Jesus appeared to his family in dreams because they were all persecuting him until the whole family became convinced that Jesus was alive and had power to save. He wants to do this through us too. Thousands upon thousands of people have come and become our neighbors, and they're waiting for us to reach out and care for them. In Manuscript Releases, Volume 5, 347, as Julie read last night, the Lord can do more in one hour than we can do in a whole lifetime. And when he sees that his people are fully consecrated, a great work will be done in a short time, and the message of the truth will be carried into the dark places of the earth where it has never been proclaimed. Amen? I am praying for that day. And as we pray for the Holy Spirit, and we will do so together now in just a moment, I want to invite you to be confident and to think, to stretch your mind to say, okay, but what does that mean today? What does that mean as I'm trying to speak to this person? And for me, the heart of it is what's said in this quote in Acts of the Apostles, page 22. After the descent of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were so filled with love for him and for those for whom he died that hearts were melted by the words they spoke and the prayers they offered. They spoke in the power of the Spirit, and under the influence of that power, thousands were converted. I want to speak like that, with such love that hearts are melted, don't you? Whether it's one-to-one, in earnest care at the right time, with somebody you come to know and begin to study with, or whether it's from up front somewhere. May the Lord fill us. I want to say a prayer with you, and I know we're uh, at towards the end of our time, so let's just pause today and just pray together as, as we close. And then I want to take a moment for any, any questions um, or anything that is on your heart, but that'll be after the recording finishes. Let's pray together. Mighty Father, You are the one that gave the promise. In fact, Jesus called it the promise of the Father. And that is because he told us in Luke 11 that you are more eager to give good gifts to us than we are ever to our children, and that that greatest of gifts is the Holy Spirit. 
So we are to ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, and it will be given to us. So today we want to rejoice in you. We want to thank you. We humble our hearts and confess we have not relied enough on your spirit. And so I pray that anything said today will be be covered with the reality that, that any method, any specific steps are just bones and flesh, but it is your Holy Spirit that must fill it with life. Raise us up to be powerful for you, much more powerful. Take us back past our inhibitions. Give us confidence and courage to initiate friendships, to initiate conversations, to ask questions, but to also boldly and with love tell the stories of what you have done for us and invite people to taste and see that the Lord is good. We thank you in the name of Jesus, who will finish the work that he has begun and come again soon, we pray. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.